Thank you for joining us for this sermon podcast from First Baptist Church at the Fields. I'm Dr. Brent Taylor, and we invite you to join us each week in worship. I am praying for you and trusting God will use this message to encourage your faith and strengthen your walk with him. All I can say is, wow. <laughs> I'm glad I came to just to hear that introduction. But uh, we respect our pastor. We love our pastor. God has blessed us with one of the best pastors in the whole country. So our feelings are mutual. Well, Happy New Year. I say that, of course, because uh, this is New Year's Eve Sunday and uh, tomorrow is New Year's Day. And that's a time when many people start making uh, New Year's resolutions. They usually don't keep them very long, but they make New Year's resolutions. And one of the resolutions that is fairly common is to have less of self and more of Christ. Uh, in other words, uh, don't be filled with pride or self. Instead, be like your Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself more than any other person in the entire universe. We'll get into that. We, he humbled himself. I heard of Dr. Harry Ironside, though, who's having a problem with pride. And uh, when he was teaching at Dallas Seminary, and I was a student there, this was uh, long ago, uh, and he mentioned to them that uh, he was having a problem with pride, and so one of them suggested, why don't you uh, put a sign on your chest and a sign on your back and put in capital letters Bible verses and march, little, spend a little time every day marching up and down the streets, uh, calling out those verses, and that'll humble you. Well, he tried it for a week or two, and when it was uh, over, he announced to them, it didn't work because after I finished, my first thought was, there's not another individual in this entire locality who is dedicated enough to do what I have just done. I have a better way to learn humility, and it's found in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we have four examples of humility there. My title, by the way, is the Humiliation and Exaltation of Christ the humiliation and exaltation of Christ in Philippians chapter 2. And my first major point that I want to share with you in that passage is the exhortation to humility in the first five verses. The exhortation to humility in the first five verses. I want to follow that then with the example of humility in Christ in verses 6 through 8. The example of humility in Christ, verses 6 through 8. Then next, the exaltation 
of the humble one. And I put humble one in capital letters because it refers to Christ. The exaltation of the humble one in verses 9 through 11. And then after that we move to Paul. So how humble are you? Or are you afraid if you answer you will no longer be humble? Well, the best example I can give you is that of Christ himself. In Mark 10:45, it says that he did not come to serve. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. Amen. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Amen. That was one of his reasons for that. You have many examples of the way Christ did humble himself. Uh, I'm sure you recall John 13 where he took a servant's towel and rinsed the disciples' feet. And uh, there are many others. But the greatest of all is found here in Philippians chapter 2. And I want to go through the first 11 verses uh, fairly quickly. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and uh, the structure here assumes, assumes the validity, the reality of these ifs. So it's uh, almost saying, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and you do, if you have any comfort from his love, and you do, if you have any common sharing in the spirit, and by the way, the common sharing there is koinonia, a Greek word that many of you are familiar with, usually translated fellowship. So if you have any koinonia, any fellowship, any common sharing in the spirit, and you do, if you have any tenderness and compassion, and you do, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. In other words, the church, the body of Christ should be characterized by unity. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility. And that is certainly the theme of this whole chapter, humility. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others. And there I've written in my own words in the Bible, practice biblical one anothering. If you're wondering what I mean by that, the Bible is replete with how we should relate to one another. And uh, I'll just illustrate a few. You get many commands like love one another, pray for one another, uh, share one another's burdens, and on and on I could know. The Bible is replete with uh, things we are exhorted to do for one another and as one another. And I call that practicing biblical one anothering. Now we come to the key verse, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ had. It says a bit more literally, have the same concern, the same love, the same mind 
it's more literally a mind, have the same mind that Christ Jesus had. And of course, uh, his mind was one of self-sacrificing, self-humbling, and, self and serving others. And so here is that mindset that uh, characterizes Christ, the mindset of humility and love, sacrificing for one another. Here it is. He is described this way. Being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own personal advantage rather he made himself nothing Christ was in very nature God Amen. we have too many people today who deny that they do not believe that Jesus was deity but uh, to rectify that problem since I was the general editor of the NIV study Bible and pardon me for even mentioning it uh, General editors are not supposed to do that. Uh, but it bothered me so much that many people, including some scholars, deny the deity of Jesus Christ. That what I did was take out a concordance and study every passage in the New Testament that said something about Christ's deity. The fact that he is God. And that when he became a man, he did not give that up. Amen. He retained that deity. He was still God. That makes him, by the way, the most unique person in the entire universe. He is both human and divine. He is both man and God. He is unique in that regard. And what I did then was create a study note. I wrote this one. I didn't write uh, most of them. But I wrote this one all by myself, myself. And in the note on Romans 9, 5, that verse, by the way, mentions the deity of Christ. And uh, on that verse, I've made a note collecting all the verses from Matthew to Revelation that either state explicitly or strongly imply the deity of Christ. And when you look at that collection in that study note, in my opinion, the deity of Jesus Christ cannot be denied. And so it goes on to say, rather he made himself nothing. And uh, the word here about made himself nothing is in Greek, kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S, kenosis. And so some liberal scholars write a kenosis doctrine in which they believe that Jesus not only made himself nothing, he gave up his deity so that he was no longer God. And uh, that's why I wrote that note then on Romans 9, 5, to prove that even when he was a man, he did not lose his deity. He remained God. Uh, otherwise, he would not be God any longer. And of course, you, deity cannot give up deity. Deity is deity forever. So he made himself nothing. The King James says, made himself of no reputation. But no matter how you state it or describe it, what you should do is put a colon after nothing because the following participles explain the meaning of the finite verb. There's only one finite verb here, 
and it's he made himself nothing. The word kenosis being involved there. And then that verb is described by the following participles. So here is how he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing by humbling himself, being characterized by humility. And his humility led his humiliation, ultimately the most humiliating death of all, a Roman crucifixion. And so he made a tremendous sacrifice in all the words that follow, and here they are. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So he became a servant. And I already mentioned John 13, and uh, some other verses could be mentioned uh, also, like Mark 10:45. Mark 10:45. He. Uh, did not come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so he became a servant. He also became human. He was made in human likeness. He was born as a human, became a true human being. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And that is a key not only to this verse, but to the entire passage I even make it the key to the, the entire chapter, all of Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself. And uh, not only did he humble himself, but we're all going to see after that that Paul humbled himself. And we'll see that Timothy humbled himself and Epaphroditus humbled himself. So the theme of the chapter is humility. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross, which was the uh, most humiliating death of all, a Roman crucifixion on the cross. And on that cross, he became our substitute. He was our sin bearer. He took our sins upon him and paid the penalty for our sins and made it possible for John the Baptist to say of him as he was approaching, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By the way, in the Old Testament, in uh, the Pentateuch, where you've got sacrifices of animals, the animals could not have any physical blemishes on them. But even they are not satisfactory substitutes for human beings. What is required to pay the penalty for human beings for sin is another human being who is perfect who is sinless. The only perfect sacrifice then could be Jesus Christ himself, who was sinless, he was perfect, and he became our sin bearer. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 is a key verse there. It indicates that Christ took our sins upon his body, paid the penalty for our sins, atoned for our sins, and then gave us his righteousness. His righteousness was imputed to you and to me. That is how you and I can become Christians. It is because Christ was willing to humble himself, give up his glory, come down here, and as a perfect human being, 
pay the penalty for our sins and uh, be our sin bearer and our one, the, the one who makes atonement for us. I call Second Corinthians uh, 5.21, by the way, the greatest exchange in the entire universe, the greatest exchange in history. Uh, in the Barker paraphrase, and I do that occasionally, excuse me, but in the Barker paraphrase in Second Corinthians 5.21, we give to Christ our sins, and in exchange, he gives us his righteousness. You can't beat that exchange. That has to be the greatest exchange ever. We give to Christ our sins. He gives to us his holiness, his perfection, his righteousness. God sees us as clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, because of that tremendous price that Jesus paid for our salvation, God exalted him to the highest place. And so after his crucifixion, he was raised in a glorified body, a glorified body which uh, he uh, still has. And by the way, we will have one like him, according to the last verse in Philippians chapter 2 or 3, it says that our body will be like Christ's glorious body. That's the same as saying our glorified body will be like his. I sometimes have believers ask me, oh, what will our glorified bodies be like? The answer is right there in Scripture. It'll be like the glorified body of Christ. You can't beat that either. Your glorified body will be like Christ's glorified body, according to that text. So therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And of course, this is talking about not only his resurrection, but then his ascension. His ascension when he was glorified in heaven and sits at the Father's right hand, reigning and ruling there, waiting for the time is ripe for his return when he will come again. There are two advents of Christ, the first one and the second one. The first one is over, and that, was, that one was to redeem us. He came to redeem us. In his second coming, he will come to reign. Amen. So first, he came to redeem at his first advent. Second, he comes to reign at his second advent. And believe it or not, you and I will reign with him. The text of the Bible also says that. And it speaks of us as co-heirs with Christ. We will also be honored and reign with him and share glory with him and help him reign because when he reigns for a thousand years over this planet, there will be not only believers here, but also unbelievers. And they will, things will, be need, will need to be kept in order. And Jesus himself spoke in a parable about uh, reigning over five towns or ten towns. And I take that literally, that we will have uh, administrative responsibilities as uh, mayors and governors and uh, presidents and so on under Christ. And he will be reigning, by the way, during that period of his reign, sitting on the throne of David in Jerusalem, Second Corinthians, Second Chronicle, Second Samuel, rather. I'll get this right. Second Samuel, chapter six, 
it's either six or seven, uh, I think it's seven, says in verse 16 that Christ will reign for a thousand years on the, on the, and he will reign forever. That's in there too. He will reign forever on the throne of David. Amen. So it's an eternal reign and we will reign with him. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. People sometimes uh, argue as to whether this name that's referred to here is uh, Jesus or Lord. Uh, I have no problem myself with it being both. Uh, and I like to point out the fact that most of the time, what's given as his full name is Lord Jesus Christ. And there's significance to every one of those. Lord shows that he is Lord and master over everything, authority over everything. Jesus speaks of his saviorhood because Jesus means the Lord saves. And so that speaks of his being a savior. And uh, then, of course, Christ then speaks of uh, his being anointed as God's anointed priest and king. And so all those names are there to honor and glorify him. So, so far we've seen the exhortation to humility in verses 1 through 5. The example of humility in Christ in verses 6 through 8. And the exaltation of the humble one, Christ, in verses 9 through 11. Now next we come to the fourth major point, the expression of humility in Paul. The expression of humility in Paul in verses 12 to 18. And I'm going to have to uh, just touch on a few things here. But in this passage, I can, can never pass up this verse uh, because I feel so strongly about it. Do everything without grumbling. And later in a moment, he also adds arguing down in uh, verse uh, 14. Uh, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And uh, one, of the, one of the things you should know about me is that I hate grumbling and arguing. I despise them. Uh, I, get I even get, when people are, are quarreling and arguing and raising their voices in my presence, I even get sick in my stomach. It, it, it affects me even psychologically. So, uh, but it's wrong. There are exhortations in the Bible against that. So you shouldn't do it. It upsets people like me. So do everything without grumbling or arguing. Those are sins to be avoided. But then Paul goes on to point out that we are to shine like stars, shine like luminaries. You get that uh, farther down. In verses 14 and following, uh, you come to uh, the verses that say, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Now, stars reflect light. They don't shine within themselves. Stars reflect light. 
And that is how you and I are to shine. Reflect the light of Christ. In other words, we don't show our own light. We show, we reflect the light of Christ. People should be able to see Christ in us. His beauty, His glory, His character. And that is possible because He gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us, to enable us to be good light reflectors. And so Paul humbled himself by reflecting the light of Christ. And I'll let that go because my watch keeps reminding me. Uh, and so we will go to the last point and get in two more people. I like to get all four in because to me, all four exemplify <coughs> humility. So finally, we have two more expressions of humility in Timothy and Epaphroditus in verses 14 through 30. So Paul has been a marvelous example. Now two more. Timothy, of course, was won to Christ by Paul. And he says now in these last verses, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. <clears throat> and that's also true of people who humble themselves, people characterized by humility. Uh, they have genuine concern for the welfare of other people. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has uh, proved himself because as a son with uh, his father, he has served with me in the work of the Lord and uh, Paul won him to Christ. And so he was his spiritual father. And so he is a good example. Then there's one more. Epaphroditus, picking it up at verse 25. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. How would you like to have all those things said about you? My brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your mes messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for... He longs for you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. And he really was ill. In fact, he almost died. But then it goes on to say, after that, therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad. And by the way, that's the keynote of this whole book. Uh, joy, gladness, uh, it's characterized by joy and rejoice and gladness uh, so that you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. And uh, that's a marvelous thing to have said about you too, that you almost die for the work of Christ. And uh, he 
risk his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. My time is getting so much up now that uh, I'm going to switch to one more thing that I wanted to bring into the message today. Because, and I'm not doing this just to please Keith because it's music. But I too love poetry. I love hymns. I don't have a favorite hymn, by the way. I have many favorite hymns, numerous favorite hymns. And this is one of them. And it, we have in hymnology here the story that I've just read to you about Christ from Philippians chapter 2. This tells the story in music. Down from his glory, ever-living story, my God and Savior came, and Jesus was his name. Born in a manger, to his own a stranger, a man of sorrows, tears, and agony. What condescension, bringing us redemption, that in the dead of night, not one faint hope in sight, God, gracious tender, laid aside his splendor, stooping to woo, to win, to save my soul. Without reluctance, flesh and blood, his substance, he took the form of man, revealed the hidden plan, O glorious mystery, sacrifice of Calvary, and now I know he is the great I am. And this should be our response. Oh, how I love him, how I adore him. My breath, my sunshine, my all in all. The great creator became my savior and all God's fullness dwelleth in him. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank you for this example by the greatest exemplar, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us also to humble ourselves and to be willing to serve Christ and to serve other people, to serve people in this church, to serve one another and exemplify what this lesson was all about. I pray that that could be even a New Year's resolution as we enter this new year. May your spirit not only live within us, but empower us and enable us to persevere in faith and faithfulness and fruitfulness and help us to serve you in such a way that one day we will hear those beautiful words of approbation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. May that be the experience of all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to say before leaving uh, that if you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then please uh, take one of those uh, connect cards and uh, fill it in 
And uh, we also have a connect room here. And whatever your need is, if it's for salvation or for sanctification or for something else, uh, use those uh, connect cards and take them to the connect room. And we have people there who can help you in uh, praying and uh, receiving Christ in uh, how to live the Christian life and uh, so on so that you can uh, one day hear Jesus' words to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. And God bless you.